All right, so as we go through 1 Timothy, we're in chapter 4. Before we start at the beginning of it, I want to read just the last verse to you. And I want to point something out. Notice what it says in verse 16. It says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Alright, so right there, notice how he's telling them to continue in the doctrine. And in doing that, you'll save yourself. So, is this verse saying that if we don't stay right in our doctrine, that we can lose our salvation? Now, that's what some people would try to do with this passage to prove that a person could lose their salvation. You know, you've got to hold on to your faith. If you don't hold on to your faith or endure to the end, then you will not be saved. You'll not go to heaven. That's foolish. And right there, is this, this is another example. And I'm seeing this all the time. To, it's, just, it's wearing me out at how often people will take one verse and one statement in the Bible and build a doctrine around it and they never read the whole chapter. I mean, I see pastors doing this all the time. I mean, I'll see it too. Sometimes I'll preach a message on YouTube and somebody wants, you know, it'll be on YouTube and somebody wants to refute what I taught and they'll throw a line, one verse. And I just, it just, it wears me out. I'm like, people, just read the whole chapter. Alright, just read the verse before, read the verse after, and you'll see what it's talking about. But I am afraid that we have just gotten so lazy today. We have gotten so lazy when it comes to studying our Bibles and our doctrine. And even a lot of preaching today, it's, just, it's pure laziness. Alright, you hear me getting the camp meeting preachers all the time. And it is not uncommon to hear an hour-long message where literally two or three verses are preached. I've heard 45-minute messages where they didn't make it through one verse. Didn't even get through one verse of Scripture. And yet the people will say the Spirit moved. And you know, people were just, I mean, they'll, they'll talk about how great it was just because the circus entertainer got up there and he put on a great performance and got everybody all riled up and didn't even make it through one verse of Scripture. I listened to that, that one preacher that did 45 minutes, never made it through one verse. I listened to him another time. He got up and said, I'm going to do some expository preaching. And he made it through like six verses. And all he would do is he would read a little bit of the verse and he would pick a word. He'd pick a phrase in there and he just ran on that. And it had nothing to do with the passage that he was preaching. And he would just do that with each verse. And his message was literally all over the place. And it had nothing to do with what that passage was that he was preaching. And that's just lazy. This is pure laziness, and we wonder why all the false doctrine has come in churches. If people have just gotten lazy. And you know what? Here in chapter 4, we see the remedy for this. And as we go through chapter 4, we're going to see what he's talking about when he's talking about being saved here in verse 16. Not every time you, when you see the word saved in the Bible is it talking about being saved from hell or your soul being saved. Right, and that's another mistake people make. And that's why we've got guys going around saying, you know, he that endured the end shall be saved. Showing that people are saved different in the tribulation. Once again, failing to look at context. Failing to look at a whole passage and put it all together just because they're stinking lazy. That's all there is to it. So let's look at the old chapter here. Let's start reading in verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, before we go on, all right, let's think about seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. What, when you think of a doctrine of devil, if I just got a doctrine of devils, if I got up here 
and I was going to preach something that was really satanic. You know, what, what would come to your mind that I would preach? I mean, we would, you know, I don't know, drinking blood, you know, animal sacrifices, things like that. That's what we think of, right? But does anybody remember a message I preached a while back? I forgot what it was about. But it had something to do with being satanic. And I was showing how things that are satanic, it's not the crazy bite the head off the bat stuff. All right? it's, it's things that are actually way more innocent looking. Okay? Satan, it's subtle. Okay? And Satanism is not subtle. Okay? There, there's nothing satanic about Satanism. Okay? There's nothing satanic about it. Satan is subtle. That is not subtle. Some guy that's you know dressed up in a big black robe and with you know that looks like a vampire and stuff like that. He is not subtle. Therefore, that is not satanic. But I do believe it's demonic. I, I believe there's a difference. Okay, so keep that in mind. All right, doctrines of devils are not going to be this crazy satanic thing. We're going to see what it is here in just a second. So, verse two, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Okay. These people are hypocrites about what they're saying. You know what that means? They're saying one thing and they're doing another thing. You know what? When somebody is a hypocrite, it's not somebody who gets up and talks about how evil they are, but they're really good. It's somebody who talks about how good they are and how holy they are, but they're really evil. Okay? So if somebody is going to get up and preach a doctrine of devils, he's going to preach something that's satanic, and he's going to do it in hypocrisy... He's not going to get up and tell you you need to drink blood and all these other things. You know what he's going to do? He's going to tell you to do things like forbidding to marry, you know, and um, commanding to abstain from meats. That's a doctrine of devils right there. He's thinking vegetarians. That's a doctrine of devils, all right? Now, is it satanic to be a vegetarian? No, yeah, it, it's stupid, all right? But no, it's not satanic. But teaching. That somebody needs to not eat meat in order to be saved, right? That is satanic, alright? That's satanic. And let me tell you something about vegetarians, alright? I'm sure there's exceptions out there, but I don't care, alright? Vegetarians all think they're better than everybody else. Right? They do. They all think they're better than everybody else, and that's why we all hate them, alright? And they try to make us feel bad for eating animals. And, but I'm sorry, the Bible calls that a doctrine of devils. It says, uh, you know, commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them, which believe and know the truth. There's some passages in the Bible I struggle obeying, but this is not one I struggle obeying. All right? When I eat meat, I thank God for it. I ask, I ask God's blessing on it. I thank Him for it. And I mean it. And I enjoy it. And I thank God He allows us to eat meat. That is a blessing. For every creature of God is good. And nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So you know what? Bring on the meat. Bring on the bacon. Nothing to be received. I, like, I love that. Some, some passages, I struggle. Some, I, like, I love it. This is one of them right here. But notice these doctrines that are doctrines of devils. Okay, These are things that we would look at and think, well, you know, that's impressive. A guy who's you know, willing to abstain from marriage just so he can give himself wholly to the Lord. That person who's, I mean, they're so spiritual, they've given up some of the greatest things that God ever made for us to put in our mouths. Meat. You know, these are really spiritual people, right? 
But what is it these people always do? All right, They want to make everybody else do these things. They want to force these things on everybody else and make a command that we have to do these things in order to be saved or to be holy or whatever. And the Bible never commands that anywhere. But yet they'll teach that as a part of salvation. And so I believe these doctrines of devils uh, you know, or, or the doctrines of... What a lot of people, if you ask them what a doctrine of devil was, a lot of religions, especially a lot of these Protestant religions, they would say what we teach is the doctrine of devil. Why? Because we teach once saved, always saved. You know, you teach that a person can get saved without repenting of all their sins and without, you know, turning over a new leaf and being a better person. You guys think people can just get saved and then still live a sinful life. And that, so they will accuse us of teaching the doctrines of devils because of something like that. But yet, look at what the doctrines of devils are. It's putting ordinances on man. It's commanding them to do things that the Bible never commanded. And so, I, per, I personally think that you know the doctrines of devils are going to be things that would actually make somebody look impressive. Somebody look holy. The doctrines of devils are when people add works to salvation. That is a doctrine of devils right there. I mean, I think that's very clear. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. Okay? Because what is it? Every repent of your sins preacher, what is he going to do? He's going to get up and he is going to give you a whole big list of sins that he doesn't do. Things that he wants you doing. Telling you, telling you if you don't do these things, you're not saved. But at the same time, is he not sinning too? He's got his own issues. He's got his own sins, but he's not going to bring those things up. He'll tell you about all the sins that he gave up. He'll tell you about how he gave up his meat or whether he gave up his drinking or he gave up his cigarettes or whatever it was that he gave up and try to make it like you've got to do those things. But the truth is, he's a hypocrite because he hasn't even given up his pride. He hasn't given up. You can go through a whole list of sins. Nobody has given up on all their sins. And therefore, these are, these are the doctrines of devils. People who add works to salvation, that's crystal clear right here. The doctrines of devils are adding works to salvation. Things that would be perceived as good things. It's not this crazy satanic stuff that a lot of people are looking for. It's going to be things that looks good. These doctrines that they, he mentions too, these are all, they're all works-based. And it's all about abstaining from things that our flesh desires. Okay? We desire to be married. We desire to eat meat. These are things that we want to do. And people often think they're spiritual because they hold themselves back from these things and they make it, they make them, uh, makes them think that they're better. But it's crystal clear that these doctrines of devils are works-based salvation. We don't see anything in here mentioned about just you know, the crazy, you know, quote, satanic stuff that we see today. There's nothing like that. But yet, what he's talking about in here, you can find in churches all over in this area. Specifically, in the Catholic Church, you will find these things. They forbid their priests from getting married. They forbid the nuns from getting married. They command during certain times of the year to abstain from meats. I mean, these very things that he mentions in here, you can find all of this stuff in the Catholic Church. And it's, it's hypocrisy. They command their priests to abstain from marriage, thinking that makes them more spiritual or more holy, but then it turns out these guys are always perverts. Doing horrible, 
horrible things behind the scenes. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. These people, they have their conscience seared with a hot iron. These people, they're, they're actually wicked that are teaching these things. And so I, do, I think it's interesting that these doctrines of devils, these things that he says are going to come in the latter times, these are works-based salvation. These are going to be in churches. We're going to see these things in churches where they look a lot more like us. It's not going to be what we see going on in the contemporary church. All right? That's, once again, what we see going on in the contemporary churches today, that's not satanic, that's demonic. Okay? These rock and roll churches, there was nothing subtle about that. All right? Pastor Skinny Jeans Church, there's nothing satanic about that. That's demonic. All right? All the stuff that goes on in these churches, there's nothing subtle about what we see going on there. And the doctrines of devils, I believe we're going to see them pop up more in churches like ours if we're not careful. Where people, uh, if, if we're not watching out, and we might, we could let people come in that would promote this stuff. So look at verse 6. So he says, um, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith, and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. So here we see a good minister is going to be someone who reminds his congregation of good doctrines that are important. Okay, He said, if you'll keep these things in remembrance, then you will be a good minister you know, you'll, of Jesus Christ. You know, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. But unfortunately, one of the things we're seeing today in Baptist churches is you don't see good doctrine. In fact, you almost see no doctrine. You know what you hear when you go to most churches today? You hear fables. You hear made-up stories. And I'm telling you, all my life, I have gone to camp meetings, revival meetings, preachers' conferences. I have gone to these things my entire life. I I love going to these things. I I go to them whenever I get a chance. And thankfully, nowadays, even if I can't go to these things, a lot of times, you know, they're live stream. I can watch it on the Internet. And I'm hearing the preaching that's coming from Baptist churches today, especially at these big conferences. All right, and many of these big conferences they kind of set the agenda for the Baptist churches for the next year. Whatever it is they're talking about, whatever it is they're promoting, you know, whatever the Pope gets up and you know, tells all the pastors they need to be preaching in their church, that's what they try to push for the next year. And one thing that you will notice in all these conference, conferences is barely any Scripture is used and you hear a ton of fables. Preachers that just get up and they tell stories. It's nothing but a big brag session about what all God has done for them in the last years. And maybe I should name some names on these things, but I'm not going to. There are some preachers out there, they turn my stomach. I I cannot handle listening to them. I'll go to these meetings. I'll drive two and a half hours, three hours to go to some of these meetings just to get listen to a man get up there and for an hour tell stories about himself and just brag on himself for a solid hour and barely crack open the Scriptures. And then I listen to all these dumb young guys that are just wanting to, they just want to be these guys. Get, you know, afterwards, man, wasn't that something? Wasn't that great? I'm like, really? Yeah. I mean, wasn't he something? Wasn't he great? 
All right, because that's all I got out of it is, boy, you know, isn't he the superstar? Isn't he Superman? Tell me what you learned from that. What doctrine did he teach you in that? What did you learn from the scriptures in that? We, and literally, there's nothing. And I should, I should sometimes, just for fun, as a homework assignment, I should get you some of these messages and these conferences and just give them to you and, and let you, you know, and just let you all analyze and see what we all come up with. And I'm telling you, there's nothing to analyze there. There's nothing. Hey, let's go through how much time was spent in the Scripture, how many Scriptures were used, how much time was even spent talking about the Scriptures, and how much was storytelling time. And if we did a pie chart, all right, the size of the pie of them telling the stories is going to be the size of the pie they're going to eat in the meal afterwards. I'm telling you, it's that, it's that much of the message. It's ridiculous. And we wonder why so much bad doctrine is creeping into these churches. We wonder why some of the just you know, flaming heretics are being allowed to preach in these churches. It's because these people are clueless. They're not, they don't have good ministers that are preaching good doctrine. They're giving heed to fables. The Bible says, you know, but refuse. Profane and old wives' fables. I, and I don't know exactly what those would be. But you know, a lot of times when we talk about you know, wives' fables or wives' tales, you know, it's like just these old... Uh, you know, like, you know, you, they'll talk about like with the, some old home remedy, you know, well, just try this or just do this, you know, and what are these things? These are things that haven't even really been tested. You know what they are? It's just somebody's opinion that's been passed down. And that's a lot of what you hear preached in these churches. It's just one guy's opinion. Where did he get that from? He didn't use any scripture to back it up. I'll tell you where he got it from. He heard another preacher in another camp meeting say it and it got a whole bunch of amens. So he figured he'd get a whole bunch of amens when he said it too. And they, they literally... Don't back it up with any scripture at all. And a good minister is not going to get caught up in fables. The focus we see will be on godliness. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. And that, listen, there's many things that we could get caught up in that are of no profit. Okay, For bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. There, there's a lot of things in the Scriptures that where it doesn't, just doesn't say very much. All right, We've got guys that are traveling around the country that they do literally most of their preaching is about the time before Noah's day. Now, why is that? <clears throat> because you know, the Bible says very little about the days before Noah. Yet some guys are out there most of their preaching is uh, from that time. From literally the first ten chapters of the Bible. Why is that? Because we're the most intrigued by that. You know, there's, there's so little said that we can pretty much make up about any story that would fit into the storyline without necessarily corrupting the Scriptures, right? You know, and so people, they get, they get caught up in these things. And they want to talk about all that stuff and just and, and just waste time. And there's nothing profitable. There's nothing that will help them be godly from what they learn in those things. But yet, that will become the focus of these churches. That's foolish. We don't want to, we don't want to get caught up in that. A good minister is going to be teaching things that promotes godliness. And that's what we've been seeing throughout the book of Timothy. That while we want good doctrine, this doctrine that we're trying to teach is going to be stuff that affects our behavior. And we got a lot of the trendies today that are acting like we don't need to be preaching on things that you know involve behavior. We just need to be preaching the word. Well, I'm sorry. A lot of the word 
talks about our behavior. So if we're preaching the Word, we're going to talk a lot about someone's behavior and about how someone should act. But unfortunately, these people, they're, they're, they're trying to avoid that. The Bible says that godliness is profitable in all things. This will help people in every area of their life. If you'll practice godliness, this godliness that we practice, we do not practice, we do not practice godliness so we can obtain salvation. We practice godliness because it's profitable. It's profitable in every area of your life. If I'm as a pastor, if I teach you how to be godly in your dealings with people, it'll help you be, you know, you'll be a better husband. You'll be a better family member. You'll be a better worker on your job. You'll be a better neighbor. Everything will be better about you if you will practice godliness. So why would we not talk about these things? Why would we not talk about behavior? Why would we not name sin? And preach hard against sin. Why would we not study the law of God? Because what is godliness? Okay, godliness is when we're being like God, right? Worldliness is when we're being like the world. Well, how do we know how God is? I'm afraid to tell you this, but we find that in the Old Testament. Alright, that's in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament law. We see how the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. We know that our Lord is perfect. Well, if we want to be like Him, if we want to practice godliness, which is profitable in everything, guess where we've got to go? We've got to go back to the Old Testament where everybody's wanting to avoid it. And then they'll do... And even some of the trendies, that a lot of these guys, they'll, they have their gospel right, they have salvation right, but they have bought in to the stupidity of some of the dispensational teaching because it helps them throw out the Old Testament. They're even taking the things like the Sermon on the Mount and saying, you know what? We don't even need to worry about preaching that because that was still technically Old Testament time because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. It's like, really? You think Jesus gave that Sermon on the Mount just because people were going to need it for those next three years? He, really, he wanted that just for that specific crowd. So they would have it, something that they would need for the next three years. Are you sure? He didn't preach that so it would be written down so we would have it, so we would know what to do. But yet, many of the trendies are acting like we don't even need to preach the Sermon on the Mount. Where is that coming from? You know where that's coming from? It's because they, they don't like the godliness. These people, This is a different subject what they're doing, but they, I believe, are turning the grace of our Lord into lasciviousness is what they're doing. And they're... They just they don't like anything that's controversial, anything that goes against the flesh. But we see that a good minister is going to preach these things. You know why? Because godliness is profitable in all things. And there is a lot of things that we could find in the New Testament to help us be godly. But there is a whole lot in the Old Testament, too. None of those things in the Old Testament or the New Testament that show us how to practice godliness are necessary for us to be saved, but they can teach us godliness, which is profitable. So we are, I'm profiting you when I preach the Old Testament. And I preach to you that these things are sin. Our community would, be, would profit if it practiced Old Testament laws. I'm not talking about ceremonial laws and sacrificing animals which the Bible specifically did away with, but I am talking about the moral laws. I am talking about government laws. Our community would benefit greatly if we punished adulterers and fornicators and homos 
and you know, people like that. We would benefit greatly. You know why? Because that would make us a godly community. And godliness is profitable in all things. We would profit greatly if we would practice those things. And I know that doesn't set well with people. And Pastor Skinny Jeans is not going to like that one bit. And he's not going to preach that because he's going to offend everybody in his church that's all got at least one homo in their family. That he's going to offend all of them. But I'm sorry. I want to be a good minister. I want to preach things that promote godliness. Not as a way of salvation, but as a way to be godly because godliness is profitable in all things. And so, good, uh, but many are, they're, they're getting focused on the fables, just telling stories. You know, Pastor Trendy, he's turning his church into a coffee shop, getting rid of the pulpit, standing by the bistro table so you can just have a conversation like you're just sharing a cup of coffee together. They talk about feel-good stuff. Not going not gonna to get on sin. Not going to go pound the pulpit and yelling or screaming or anything like that that needs to be done. And you know what? He, they're shortchanging their people. They're robbing their people. They're doing these things for filthy lucre's sake and they're, they're not giving them the good stuff from the Bible. And that's a shame. Look at verse 10. So it's, and, why, and so why don't they do these things? All right? Why are they holding back? Well, verse 10 says, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. I love this right here. Because look at this. He's saying we're suffering reproach okay, because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men. All right? He's saying we're suffering reproach because we're trusting in God who is the Savior of all men. He died for everybody. All right? But the ones who benefit are those who believe. Right? And notice he's saying we're suffering reproach because we believe in Him versus those who are trying to get to heaven through their good works. Those who think they're going to go to heaven because they abstain from marriage and because they abstain from meats. Y'all see that? They, they're suffering reproach not because they're just being so much better than everybody else. They're suffering reproach because they're just preaching the true, simple gospel that is faith without works. And there's people that are out there, they want to control, they want to manipulate. And so what do they do? They've got to put this requirement on people. They've got to make it like a requirement for salvation. Otherwise, they feel like they have no control. And we see this even in Baptist churches. And I'm, I'm sad to see this going on in Baptist churches, churches that I fellowship with and I grew up around. You've got pastors that they have, they have departed from the faith. They are preaching a repent of your sins gospel. A lot of the young guys that have been trained in these churches and trained in their Bible colleges are leaving. They're going out. They're studying some of the Bible. And they're learning that these guys are preaching a false gospel. They are learning that, you know what? You don't have to repent of your sins to be saved. But you, you, know, you, just, do, you just have to believe. It's faith. It's not about works. They're, and they're even learning that works don't prove that you're saved. But then, what these guys do in kind of rebellion to that old crowd that preached in the false gospel and rebellion to that crowd that told them, you know, if, if you're not dressed in a certain way, you're probably not saved. If you're not in church three times a week, you're probably not saved. If you haven't given up all the sins that I gave up, you're probably not saved. Putting them on these guilt trips, making these people think they're not saved all the time. Some of these guys, too, that are, are preachers today that went to these Bible colleges, they all got saved 14 times. 
Because every time they go to youth conference or something, the guy preach on their sin and tell them you must not be saved because you never gave this up. Some of you boys, you're looking at girls and lusting after them. You must not be saved. Not teaching them that, hey, boys are going to like girls. You just got to learn to control yourself and have some character and discipline. And these guys are confused. And so they're rebelling. And what they're doing is they're going and they're preaching a correct gospel. But now they're holding back the things that are profitable from their congregation. They're not good ministers. They're not preaching godliness. They're not preaching Old Testament law because they're all bent out of shape because that pastor, he preached on Deuteronomy 22.5 every week. And woman shall not wear that which pertains to a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. He preached that every week and almost made it a requirement for salvation. And so now that guy, he looks at that verse and he now hates it. Because he sees that as something I thought, you know, my wife had to do if she was going to go to heaven. Turns out you, a woman can get to heaven wearing a pair of pants. But, turns out that's a separate issue. We're supposed to go to that to find out what godliness is. We're supposed to go to that to find out, you know, what pleases God, how we can be more like Him, so we can profit. Because it's good. These things are profitable for us. But these guys, in rebellion to that, they're going in a direction where they start out preaching a correct gospel. Officially, they have a correct gospel, but they leave all godliness out. They leave doctrine out, good doctrine, that's going to be about behavior. And that what do they do? Now what do you preach? If we're not allowed to talk about good doctrine, which is going to involve behavior, what are you going to preach about? You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to tell stories. You're going to have to just, you know, we got to figure out some way to just make everybody comfortable. And then they just, they're, they're, they're the country club churches. Officially, many of them have a correct gospel, but they're not spreading the gospel. You know why? Because the gospel offends people. We see the Apostle Paul here. They suffered reproach. Why? They didn't suffer reproach because they were just so strict. They suffered reproach because they preached a salvation that was without works. That was just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved versus a works-based salvation. And you know, we, people like us, we still get criticized today. Because, just because of the fact that we believe when we go out soul winning and we give somebody the gospel and they believe it and they get saved, that they're going to heaven. Even if they don't repent of their sins, we believe they're going to heaven. And we get mocked, we get made fun of, we get talked down. And the truth is the people that are criticizing us are a bunch of hypocrites. Because they have not repented of their sins either. And so they're going to bash us. And there's people too. That, you know, they, they bash the fact that we're going to go to Aurora an hour and a half from here and have a soulie marathon. Well, you know, what church are you going to send them all to? You know, hey, we're just trying to get some people out of hell. Is what we're trying to do. Hey, I'll gladly recommend them some churches if they ask me. I would gladly work with a church in that area if they wanted to. But at the same time, you know, the, these people, the reason they're not out soulie, they don't think these people are really getting saved. Because they're not doing all the things that they want them to do. And it is, it's, it's a shame what we're seeing going on. But teaching the truth will cause you to suffer reproach. But he said, you know, these things command and teach. We're going to command and we're going to teach them. We're going to promote these things like we are the ultimate authority. Okay? Like we are, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I, I don't believe in popes. All right? I don't believe I don't believe in popes. I don't believe in an archdiocese and archbishops and and things like that. But you know, as far as I'm concerned, our church 
We've been commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And you know what? It's funny. It's funny how us going an hour and a half away and preaching the gospel to people is taboo. But them taking a little missions trip where they, it was pretty much just a photo op to some other country, they can go out phoning there. And it's funny, if a, pre, if a Baptist preacher goes on a mission trip to you know, Mexico or the Philippines or someplace like that or someplace in Africa, 100% of their, you know, their salvations that they count, they were all real. 100% of them. But over here in America, it's not real when we do the same thing. These guys will go door knocking in another country and every one of those salvations count. But when, they, when we knock doors in our country, in our own neighborhood, those salvations don't count. I've always found that interesting. I find that very interesting. Right? It's because these trips that they go on there, they're nothing more than a photo op. So they can look like they're doing something and you know, have something to report their church. And truth is, their church just spent a fortune to send them on a vacation where they just went and you know, did a little bit of uh, work in front of a camera for a couple hours. It's sad. Uh, it's sad. And I'm telling you, some of these numbers too of these churches are, are bringing back, they are not impressive at all. And it's like, really, that you spent how much money to go over to these countries and that's literally all you did? You spent all that money to go over there and you went soloing an hour or two hours a day? Okay. That's, that's, a, good, you know, that's a good use of money. It, it, it's ridiculous. But let's look at a few more verses here. So, um, well, 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. All right? So in many churches today, you know, we have people... Who are teaching, you know, they're teaching, but they're not commanding because they don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. He said, these things command and teach, all right? But we do. We've got a lot of people who like to teach, but not command. 2 Timothy 4 3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own flesh shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now, I think this is funny because the trendies, you know, they're like, well, we just need to focus on doctrine. We don't need to talk about behavior. Well, let me ask you, why would just doctrine, all right, if all's doctrine is, is just talking about, you know, just the deep things and about, you know, talking about the, you know, just the deep things about salvation and baptism and the Holy Spirit, why would that be so hard to endure? Okay, they said it's, the time's going to come where they're not able to endure sound doctrine. You know why? Because sound doctrine is going to be talking about their behavior. Hey, Y'all realize in order to be godly, you shouldn't be doing this. You should be doing that. You need to get this out of your life. You need to get that out of your life. And that's not what people want to hear. What is it that drives a lot of people out of churches today? It's sound doctrine. It's when they hear, you know, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. It's when they hear those things. It's when they hear preachers getting up and preaching against drunkenness and preaching against fornication and the sins like that. Those are the things that often drive people out of church. Because they can't endure it, so what do they do? They heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They want somebody to just, you know, teach me something that's going to make me feel better. Teach me something that will make me feel smarter. Teach me something so I can get puffed up with knowledge. The Bible talks about that. Teach me those things, but don't, te- don't talk about anything that actually involves my behavior. But I'm sorry, we're supposed to talk about things that will help us be godly because that's pro- godliness is profitable in all things. And we're going to command them and we're going to teach them. Say, you shouldn't do this. You should do that. If you are doing these things, you're not right with God. You're not a good Christian. The Lord's upset with you. If you're His child, He's going to chasten you. That's what the Bible teaches. So look at verse 12. Verse 12, He says, 
Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. I like that. Let no man despise thy youth. But guess what? People despise your youth all the time. You know, I'm, I'm 37. Okay? I got depressed after the message I preached Wednesday about the days of man being uh, three, score, and ten. And I started thinking about it. I'm more than halfway done. It just kind of hit me. I'm like, whoa, I don't want to be halfway done. You know, I, I still have a lot more things that I want to do. But I'm, start, I'm starting to feel like one of the older preachers. I'm way too young to be one of the older preachers. Okay? And I, I don't consider myself an older preacher. I consider myself one of the younger preachers. It's how I feel. All right, I might be 37, but some days I feel like I'm old. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, I, do. I consider myself a younger preacher, but at the same time, I'm not that young. Okay? You know, I've been preaching, well, I, I mean, I, I started preaching at 19. Okay? So almost 20 years. That's a pretty long time, isn't it? All right, you know, Some of you in here are quite a bit older than me. That might not seem that long. But you know, I'm getting tired of some of these preachers that are out there. You know, always talking about these younger preachers. You know, and it's like, in talking about me, and I'm thinking, I'm not that young. I remember when you were preaching. I remember when you were my age. I've been listening to you that long. You know? And when I first started listening to you preach, I thought you were an older preacher. The truth is, these guys are always going to be older than me. Alright? But they say this like nobody should listen to Tommy McMurtry because he's so young. Well, you know what? It says right here, let no man despise thy youth. But here's the thing. People are going to despise your youth, aren't they? What does it mean when he says, let no man despise thy youth? Does that mean, fine, you know what? I heard that preacher criticizing me because I'm young. Talking about you know all these young guys on YouTube, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm going to go prove to him that I'm not young so he doesn't despise me because the Bible says, let no man despise thy youth. Is that what it means? I, I, got to go, I got to go change his mind and make him stop despising me? No, you know what it means? It just means you know, don't let it affect you. Don't let it bother you. And you know what? I don't care. I used to have that mentality that I just got to listen to the big guys. I got to let the big guys do the things. I remember when, you know, whenever big issues would come up and things are going on, I'm like, you know, let, let the big guys deal with it. I, I remember, I remember when after the tribulation came out, I kept waiting for one of the big guys to preach a message refuting it. Somebody's got to refute this stuff. All right. This is, this can't be true. All right. It, it can't, you know, pre-trib can't be wrong. Somebody please refute this. And none of the older preachers would say anything. I mean, I still, to this day, I've been checked. I get revival fires and sword of the Lord every month. I've, I'm still waiting for them to deal with this. All right. Apparently, this post-trib stuff is sweeping churches all over the place and infecting churches and just causing chaos everywhere. Well, how come these these papers that have been you know leading the way and promoting doctrines and you know rallying people together for years and years, how come they haven't even touched this stuff with a ten foot pole? And I did. I kept waiting. All right, hopefully one of these guys, you know, Dennis Coral, man, he'll blow that out of the water. I mean, he, he will. I, I knew Dennis Coral, he's going to get wind of this false doctrine that's, gonna go, that's going around, and he's going to preach a message that will destroy the post-trib doctrine. And you know what? He still hasn't done it. I have not seen one thing in the paper about it, yet I hear preachers all over from that crowd lamenting the fact that, you know, post-trib spreading, you know, this anti-Jew stuff spreading, but they're not doing anything about it. And I remember when I wasn't there yet, 
I'm thinking one of these guys need to deal, needs to deal with it. And, and they wouldn't do it. Finally, I said, you know what? I'll deal with it. But unfortunately, I found out it was right. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I ended up, I, I ended up preaching it for, on the other side uh, of that end. But at the same time, you know, I ended up learning through a lot of those things. You know what? I don't need the Pope's permission for things. I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to let them despise my youth. And if they do despise my youth, that doesn't mean I have to despise it. And so I, I can't help it. I, you know, I'm just young. I'm only 37. You know, and I just need to mind my place and understand my position where I'm at. You know, I said, no, I'm not going to let them despise my youth. And so I think that's what he's talking about there. We should never let people's thoughts dictate what we do. Well, if you do that, people are going to get mad at you. You know, people are going to criticize you. They're going to say this. They're going to say that. You know what? Oh well. And I have I have learned over the last few years that you can't control what people think. People are going to think what they want to think. They are going to project on you whatever they need you to be. If you're out there, if you're making a difference, if you're if you're shaking things up, people. If, if so, there's people out there that need me to be a heretic. They need me to be a bad guy. They need me to be wrong. They need me to be a liar. And so you know what? I'm not going to change their mind. I'm not going to change their mind. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do what the Bible says. And I refuse to let people's thoughts dictate what I do. I say that all the time. Let's not let other people's minds control us. I remember when I was a kid seeing you know, Star Wars and thinking it would be cool if I could move a lightsaber or something or do a Jedi mind trick and get changing people's minds and stuff like that. But you know what? There are preachers today that they are so weak-minded that they do. They let people in their church control them with their mind. They let other preachers. They let, you know, I mean, there's pastors. There's a lot of pastors. They have a lot of power. They have a lot of pull. So powerful that with their minds, they will control what other preachers preach. Listen, I can't preach that publicly. You know, if Pope so-and-so heard this, he'd kick me out of the club. So really, you're going to let that guy dictate what you preach without even opening his mouth. Just with the thoughts he thinks. How weak is that? That's, that's weak. I refuse to get caught up in that. So we can't, we can't stop people from doing what they're going to do, but we can stop it from affecting us in a negative way. And I think that's what the Bible's talking about. And part of teaching people is showing them how it's done. Okay? After Paul tells them all these things, you know, he tells them to be an example of a believer in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Show them how it's done. Show them how it works. Let them see how it's handled. You know, and, that, and that's one of the things too I've learned over the last few years. Is you know what? You don't have to have a big church to lead the way in certain things. I think it's sad how churches in Illinois and in this, this whole area have abandoned soul winning. And you know what? I'm, th- I'm glad I don't need to wait. I've learned I don't need to wait for the big church to step it up. I don't need to wait for the big church to organize a soul winning marathon that everybody can come to. You know what? We can do it. We'll, d- we'll do it. And we'll do better than they would do. You know why? Because it doesn't matter. We don't need it. We're not, it doesn't matter that I'm young. It doesn't matter that we're a small church. We can do the right thing in spite of them, without them, and you know what? We'll show them how it's done, and that that is that's what and that's what we're doing. So look at verse thirteen. Verse thirteen it says, "Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by the prophecy 
with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So Timothy, his, he has got a job to continue filling the task that he was ordained of men to do. He said, neglect not the gift that was given to thee by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Talking about the, the preachers, the brethren that laid hands on him. I had a pastor tell me one time that it was possible that those who had ordained me could pull their ordination you know, because I'm not pre-trib anymore. Well, first of all, notice what he says about the laying on the hands of the presbytery. He said, neglect not the gift that is in thee. Okay? Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? The same preacher taught me the whole concept too of you know, when Jesus went and he breathed on his disciples and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted. He was telling me how that was like a transfer of authority. And what did he say? Jesus say when he gave them that authority, freely ye received, freely give. And when you give something for free, when you give something that's a gift, you don't get to take it back just because you don't like what they do with it. And I'm sorry, that's the way it is. But that's why, you know, that's why you got to be careful with who you ordain. Because you don't get to take it back. Alright? And I don't know what he was thinking. Alright? I'm sure there's some denominations, I'm sure there's some branches of Baptists where they would try doing something like that, but that's not biblical to take back an ordination. And he, but he tells them, you know, neglect not the gift. It's a gift. Alright? You were given, it was given to you for free. And, Freely ye received, and they re- what was given to me was given to me for free. And when I give it to someone else, I ought to give it to them for free. And you don't get to take it back. And so, what these this gift that he was given, okay, um, we see that that you know when they gave him that, they gave him that authority. It came with some responsibilities and the things he was supposed to do. He was supposed to give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Okay? There were things that he was supposed to do. He was supposed to be reading the Scriptures. Okay? We read the Scriptures in church. We preach the Scriptures. We promote the Scriptures. We, you know, we, we give out Bibles. You know, we do all these things, whatever we can, to get the Scriptures in people's minds. That's the job of a pastor. To exhortation. We don't just read the things. We get up and we preach them. And we encourage you to do these things and try to motivate you to do these things. We teach the doctrines of the Bible. He said that wholly give Himself to these things. Make this your life work. Make it your life work of studying the Gospel, preaching the Gospel, teaching it, exhorting one another. And he was, he, he was to display that He was accomplishing what He was called to do. Notice what He says. You know, He said, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. It needs to be obvious, Timothy, that you've been studying the Scriptures. It needs to be obvious that you've been working, that you've been praying, that you've been close to God. It needs to be clear that that you're filled with the Holy Ghost, that you're accomplishing something. Let people see the work that you've accomplished. Make sure you're doing something with that work. And we see that if He would do all these things, if he would be, if he would do the reading, the exhortation, the doctrine, if he would do all these things that he talked about, it says, notice verse 16, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. 
For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So when he's saying, if you'll continue in all these things, you'll save yourself. What is that talking about? Have we seen anything in this chapter about how to get saved? No. In fact, we see it mentioned in here that they were suffering reproach, you know, because they're just, you know, believing on Christ. We see in this passage that the doctrines of devils are people who are teaching a works-based salvation. So how could somebody take this verse and say you have to continue in the faith, you got to stay faithful in order to save yourself? How would anybody come to that conclusion? All right? You could only come to that conclusion if you do like typical camp meeting Baptists and you're going to build all your doctrine around one verse without looking at context. All right? I'm just about to get ready to start wearing a t-shirt where it just says context. You know, I'm talking to, when I'm talking to people and I'm trying to, uh, you know, you know, argue in doctrine with them and stuff. You know, it would just save me a whole lot of talking if I just had a t-shirt that said context. Context. You know, look at context. I just want to choke these people. You never look at context and you look like a fool because of that. It, it does. It wear, it, it's, it's wearing me out, people. And I, I could speak much fewer words if I just had a teacher who said, look at context. You're just context. You know, nothing, nothing but that. I think, I think that'd be good. So what's he talking about? Saving yourself. Well, in verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly in the latter time, that some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. What's he talking about being saved from? Departing from the faith and giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. He's talking about how to be saved from preaching false doctrine. How to be saved from getting carried away by lies and, and all these things that are destroying churches today. We don't want this to happen in our church. Okay, I know we cannot lose our salvation, but you know what we could do? We could lose our good doctrine. We could start getting caught up in fables. We could start getting caught up in things that are false that ultimately will get us so corrupt that you know what? People will stop getting saved. We can get to the point where we start believing in a false gospel. You know, we can get corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. We can forget that we were purged from our old sins and start commanding people to do things as in order to be saved. And now, if we start doing that, nobody's getting saved anymore. Nobody's getting saved. We'll be one of these churches that doesn't believe people are getting saved when we go soul winning if they don't come to church, if they don't get baptized. And now, we're going to be basically telling people, you need to come to church and get baptized in order to be saved. Well, if people come to our church and get baptized to be saved, guess what? They're not saved now. We've departed from the faith and we now are worthless as a church. And I don't want that to happen. I want to be saved from that. So if I want to be saved from departing from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, then I need to make sure as a pastor that we continue doing the things that are taught here in 1 Timothy 4. That we continue reading in the Scriptures. Continue exhorting. Continue promoting godliness. Continue uh, promoting good doctrine. And if we do that, we'll save ourselves. We see a theme in the book of Timothy and that is we are supposed to keep some things going and preserved. Things like good doctrine. Things like godly behavior. These things 
they for generations they've been preserved by churches and thank God for them and by godly people that have taught others and trained others to do the same things like we see in Second Timothy chapter two and verse two the things which I was learned among men among faithful witnesses you know, teach out a faithful man I butchered that but you all know the verse Second Timothy two two look it up we need to keep these things going until Jesus comes and you know what would happen in our country and the world morally and spiritually if we didn't have churches. Because think about that. Think about that for a minute. What would happen morally, what would happen spiritually if churches all stopped talking about these things? It's a scary thought. It's just something to ponder, something to meditate on. Somebody has got to promote morality. Do you think they're going to get it from Hollywood? Do you think they're going to get morality from the public school? Do you think they're going to get morality from our government? You know, the only place left promoting godliness and any type of morality are churches. And a lot of churches aren't even doing that. And we wonder, we wonder why there's so much bad doctrine. They didn't stick to these things. They didn't stay faithful in these things. And you know what they did? They did what the Bible says was going to happen in the last time. They departed from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. People think it's the rock music and stuff. That's what's seducing people. No, actually, that's not the doctrines of devils. It's the works-based junk that's the doctrines of devils. And we've got to make sure that we preserve these things for the next generation. We've got to preserve good doctrine. The last generation, they, they got real sloppy with the doctrine. And, you know, and, and it's... Some, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff. Sometimes I catch myself and it's like, do I believe this because it's just what I always heard? Or do I know how to back this up from the Bible? Do I know how to show this from the Bible? Every once in a while, I catch myself with still a little bit of dispensationalism in me. I'm st- I haven't scrubbed it all out of my head yet. Every once in a while, I, I, I get caught and I'm like, why, you know, something, something's missing here. Why am I struggling with this passage? And I find out... I, Still thinking like a pre-tribber. You know, it's hard to get it all. It's hard to get it all out of your head, but we're going to keep working on these things so we can preserve these things because I don't know when Jesus is going to come back. I know the last generation was convinced He was going to come by, you know, 1988 or at least somewhere in that vicinity. And as a result of that, you know, them thinking He was just about to come back because they bought into the whole imminency thing, they forgot to think about the next generation and preserve some things. And doctrine is a mess. And Baptist churches today, we can't let that happen. And so, uh, how do, what's that talking about being saved from in First Timothy four? Being saved from departing from the faith and giving heed to seducing spirits. It's not talking about soul salvation there. So, with that, let's pray, dear Lord. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, the faithful men that are, have been in our past that have helped preserve these things and that have promoted these things. And dear God, I pray that you'll help us to stand in the gap for this next generation. Lord, it's clear we're losing a lot of ground. We're losing a lot of things. But dear God, I pray when it comes to this church and this place that we'll do our part to make up that hedge and promote others to do the same thing. That We won't let anybody despise our youth, the size of our church, anything like that. But we will. We'll be an example. We'll show people how it's done. And I pray that we'll remain faithful. Uh, doing the things that you told us to do here in this chapter. So we will save ourselves from departing from the faith. And I pray a bless each one for it. In your name we pray. Amen.